welcome to Meet the PAs podcast. Hear the experiences of seasoned PAs, up and coming development of policy from industry leaders, and the exploration of those new to the career. Interviews done with a Canadian twist at Maple Syrup. Coming to you live from Winnipeg, Manitoba. <laughs> okay, so Ian Jones, you have been a, quite a prominent member in the PA community, especially in Canada. You've been in the military. You were original PA and president of CAPA at one point in time, and now you are currently the director of the Winnipeg PA program. Is that correct? Well, I was uh, a reservist. I was not actually a full-time member of okay. the Canadian Armed Forces. So, and I am currently the program director for the uh, University of Manitoba Master of Physician Assistant Studies. Yeah, it's actually a master's program I, there. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's what. How long has it been a master's program? Since the dawn of time. Uh, oh. Program started in 2008. We had been in planning since 2005. We wrote up the curriculum, and we first class started in last day of August of uh, 2008. Wonderful. How many students do you guys accept? We were taking 12, and uh, for the last two years, we're up to 15. So I currently am responsible for 30 students. And, and it's uh, are you guys seeing an increase in your number of applicants? Well, we currently average about 15 applications for every open and available position. Wow. The applicants come from across Canada every uh, province. A large number come from Ontario, but we also have them from BC, Alberta, had a, uh, two from Saskatchewan uh, last year, and a uh, large group from Ontario, uh, Quebec, all the island, uh, Prince Edward Island, uh, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick, and as well as from uh, Newfoundland. So, wow. Yeah. You really are recruiting across the country. Well, as uh, PAs uh, grow across the nation, uh, a lot of communities realize that, hey, maybe there's something we should look into. They mention it to a family member. A family member goes, oh, and they go to our website. They start finding out a bit more, and then they make an application. So, Are you finding then that the people that are coming from provinces that don't have PAs currently, then they're staying in Manitoba after graduation, typically? Yes. Yeah, statistically, 75% of our applicants are from um, Manitoba, and uh, we actually have, of those who are accepted, who go through the program, most, most stay for a minimal one or two years, uh, and then maybe... 20% go back to whatever province they came from. That could include Alberta. Or those who are from B.C., they will go back to Alberta so they're closer to, to B.C. Right. Or they return to Ontario for uh, family reasons. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So tell us a bit about your background and how you got to be in this position and uh, helping run the or running the program in Manitoba. And how did you become a P.A.? Well, I was a uh, firefighter paramedic uh, for 15 years. I uh, suffered a back injury, herniated three discs at once, lost feeling in my right leg, and it took a while to recover. Ouch. 
And when I got back to work, I couldn't lift stretchers or pole hose. And it was, I just kind of missed the medicine. So I started doing some online research. Back in the days where you had to know how to code DOS um, and uh, <laughs> Apple Basic. And uh, then I made a phone call to the American Academy of Physician Assistants and asked if there were any PAs in Canada I could chat to. They connected me to two in Edmonton, where I was living at the time. Matter of fact, it was rather funny because I was making a phone call from just outside the University of Alberta Hospital and looking up at the floor where the two PAs were working that I wanted to or had to meet. So I contacted them, walked across the street, <laughs> and spent some time with a, a few of them, uh, including uh, Jan Dreitz, who is the uh, first PA, uh, civilian PA, who um, worked in Canada. He was a uh, uh, from Alberta, went to school in Ontario, then transferred to Kettering in the United States, and then came back and worked for 14 years as a physician assistant in Alberta. He uh, then went back to the States, and uh, after 10 years, he uh, returned back to Canada, and he's working in uh, occupational health up north. Um, but he was never formally recognized as a PA. Uh, and they, he got to do what he did underneath the orderly rules that they had in the province at the time. So delegated duties. Interesting story. Yeah. Anyway, I fell in love with the profession. It was exactly what I wanted to do. I, at the same time, another one of those boom-to-bust cycles happened in Alberta. I took the opportunity, went to the university to get a degree, uh, applied to several programs in the United States, got rejected from all of them. Aww. The following year, I applied again and uh, decided to go to the um, University of Washington Medics Northwest where I packed up wow. and moved my family. I went to medics, uh, met some incredible people who have mentored and shaped my entire life. Um, my family and I then practiced, well, we lived in around Seattle for a while, then we went up to Alaska. I worked in a small town of Skagway, um, primary care. After that, I went to Juneau, worked in an emergency department, and at the same time, things were happening in uh, Manitoba, where I'm actually from, and where I was born. And uh, I decided to come back and see what I could do to make a difference. And wow, I did. That's fascinating. Uh-huh. <laughs> no kidding. So, to, uh, you know, basically you are a major pioneer in the PA profession in Canada. Can you talk about uh, some of the challenges that you were facing as a new PA in the profession in the country? And how you've seen that change and grow over time. Well, when I came back to uh, Manitoba, there were four uh, PAs working. Two were military, two were uh, or ex-military, and two were uh, civilians. And so we kind of had to convince everybody that we knew what we were doing. We had to we had the support of the uh, College of uh, Physicians and Surgeons, who believed in the concept. We had a few innovators who had worked with the PAs in the States and realized that we could make a difference. And we've had to continuously um, show that, yeah, we can actually contribute. We're not just simply a a line item. We're actually making things better. Um, 
we had to develop a program that could meet the accreditation standards that was took material from the Canadian Forces, took material from Duke, from Yale, from uh, Wake Forest, from uh, medics, from all the programs in, in North Dakota in particular, and decide this is going to work for Manitoba. And there were a lot of people who were non-believers, shall we say. Um, they they couldn't see why they would be training us to do what we were doing. And the question that kept coming up is, how could you possibly be this good after only two years of education? Uh, and as you know, as PAs, is that one of the advantages we have is that we focus on what's important. We focus on the essentials. We have a solid foundation in what we do, and we build upon it. And then, of course, just as we get going, economy changes. We have to start figuring out what to do. So, you know, in Manitoba, we have two degrees of separation. We get to know everyone. If you don't know them, <laughs> yeah, your cousin is probably married to somebody who does. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a matter of building relationships and and uh, not overselling yourself, but just staying with, you know, we can do that. Or give us a chance, we'll show you if we can do it. And then just doing it. So when you started working, was there actual legislation in that had already passed that allowed you to work, or were you also working with, did you have to work through those issues until until government changed? Manitoba was rather interesting, the fact that 1997, 1998, they had a, um, they, they had a bit of a crisis. They had a uh, bone marrow transplant was, um, stem cell transplants was just getting going. They would bring in a fellow, a physician who had undergone a residency and would spend a year, complete the fellowship, and move on. So there's this massive turnover uh, in this mm-hmm. area that requires a lot of specialty knowledge. So they were looking at options, and they decided that the physician assistant model would work. But we didn't have any schools outside. Well, even the Canadian Forces wasn't a two-year program at that time. So they came up with the um, regulations for uh, certified and non-certified clinical assistants. Clinical assistants were international medical graduates who could not work as physicians, even though they had been trained in different areas as physicians. And then they wrote in a clause that said certified clinical assistant, which meant a graduate of an accredited physician assistant program, because they are... We might be stuck in the prairies, but we're actually pretty far forward and far thinking uh, on a lot of things. So they developed the rules and the regulations. They brought in a, a couple of clinical assistants. They Then they recruited a physician assistant, Chris Rule, who came and started working in cardiac sciences. Then they put uh, Russ Ives into plastics from the military. Uh, they brought a graduate out of Stanford who worked vascular, and they started building this infrastructure in the surgery system. And they started to realize that, gee, maybe these PAs know what they're doing. <laughs> so the register of the college supported us um, because of the two degrees of separation. They, they actually went and talked to all the, 
other members of the uh, healthcare team, um, the College of Nurses, the College of Pharmacy, the uh, physiotherapist, occupational therapist, and started explaining what the PA would do. They uh, reached out to the uh, surgical services and the medicine services and the tertiary care hospitals who, as I said earlier, had worked with PAs in the States and were kind of wondering how come we didn't have them here in Manitoba. So mm -hmm, yeah. then we started. So we had regulations before we had PAs. Uh, the regulations actually allowed us to prescribe, uh, allowed us to do our jobs. Uh, the, uh, they outlined that you needed to have a practice description, which basically said, this is where you work, this is who you work for, and you must do the following, which basically is the PA job. Uh, history and physical exam, detailed, the, uh, provided a formulary, which matched what, uh, the province was paying for drugs and uh, and then allowed you us to do our job. So a rather innovative approach for Canada, I might say. Yeah, um, it really is. <laughs> and uh, it's worked really quite well. And there may be a few things to tweak here and there, but in essence, it allows us to uh, to do our job and do our work. Right, you actually get utilized appropriately rather than struggle to, to be allowed to do the basics, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, be, so being that, I mean, Manitoba really is a forerunner and, and a leader in Canada in terms of provinces utilizing PAs, but it's not a perfect system. What are some of the major challenges in the current climate? Well, the current climate from the 2000 and mid, well, 2000 to... Uh, uh, just the last six months, uh, PAs were funded through a um, global uh, budget for uh, assigned to a program by the province. Um, the, the funding process used to be a program would come up with a business plan, identify that uh, the addition of a PA would allow them to do X, Y, and Z. They said that X, Y, and Z would save uh, save money uh, because they didn't have to hire a physician, would allow them to see more patients, would uh, allow them to do these different quality indicators. They would then go to the uh, regional health authorities, to their chief executive officers, who would then present it to their chief medical officers, who would then present it to the uh, Manitoba Health, which would get approval from the Treasury Board, and then PA job would be funded. Then they would advertise and they recruit and fill it. In the last uh, few months, there's really is no new money in the province. So we have a healthcare system that is now chewing up 45% of our provincial budget um, that with built-in inflationary cost and needs-based with uh, changes in population and all this other, uh, it's taking more money. So the provincial government is looking at other innovative ways of funding it, which includes physician groups are now pooling the resources, uh, say, in a surgical specialty they all add a little percentage, uh, one, two percent of their income to fund a PA, which will allow them to concentrate on the jobs that, uh, in a fever service environment, they can make money, uh, and treat patients and allow the PAs to support them on that activity back to the uh, similar model that they do in the States, uh, with a, a different approach that the PA is no longer an employee of the um, 
say, the hospital so much as say, an employee of the uh, service. And that works fine in some areas, but if you are a small physician group, like one or two physicians, you can't really do it. You can't uh, bill for what the PA does unless it's a substantial part or the physician is doing a substantial part of the service. Um, for example, a dermatologist can employ a PA because they do the exam of a patient and say, we need to do a biopsy of this, this, and this, uh, and the PA can step in and do it, allowing the physician to see something else. The uh, PA is uh, able to follow up on other patients and therefore keep the, the practice going and moving, and that works good. But if you're in a uh, fee-for-service environment for a family physician, which is about 87% of them, the PA cannot generate new revenue. Uh, so it makes it difficult, not impossible, but difficult. So you have to start looking at uh, relative service value, uh, relative uh, activities that a physician would not be able to, to do in the uh, bill for in the first place, but the PA's knowledge allows them to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That becomes a challenge, but that is where the where the the push is coming from. We have to look at value, other values, not just the the dollar value. Yeah. Or the bottom line value. Yeah, I uh, was falling in my professor mode and started to lecture. I'm sorry about that. Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no you That's what we asked you to do. So speaking of your uh, your lecture mode, uh, what? How did you switch from active practice to leading uh, leading this uh, program? Well, I was working in neurosurgery, and at the time there was maybe five or six PAs. In 2005, just to let you know, there was four PAs in the country that actually had a master's degree who had uh, experience in academia, so to speak. Um, we And most of us were all basically working in the same hospital, so we were asked to help shape the curriculum. So we formed committees and groups, and we all would look at different things and say, well, what does a PA really need to know? And as I was going, the the person who was leading it, uh, Dr. Minka Chan, uh, went off on a mat leave, and the deadline to get a package through the university, uh, and for those who have never worked in a university, it is a, a bureaucracy. There is a... a Standard approach, yeah. That's an understatement. Well, to get the PA program approved, there are 18 committees it has to go through. So, and there are timelines. And naturally, none of these committees are lined up so you can go from one month to the next and meet a new committee all the time. You basically, yeah, that would be too simple, right? That would be right? too simple. Yeah. That would so be too simple. So we had to develop a package and information and that, so... Uh, Building on all the material we got, and the Canadian Forces was very generous about providing us a lot of their material, uh, even down to their PowerPoint slides, and then with um, medics and Duke and uh, just the community of PAs across North America, we put together a curriculum. We spelled out exactly what we wanted, number of classes, and that sort of thing, uh, got submitted. Uh, they did a, um, got approved. They wanted to find a program director who had some experience uh, in teaching, and they hired uh, a young 
PA um, who had been living in Calgary and wasn't able to work clinically but had taught in uh, American uh, programs. Uh, and so Sarah Clark became the first program director. Uh, then I became a part-time instructor. After a little while, Sarah moved on to other things, and uh, they looked around and they decided that I pretended that I knew what I was doing enough to convince them. <laughs> uh, and they put me in the hot seat uh, the same year that we had an accreditation. So we... Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, trial by fire. Trial by fire, yeah. So that's how I ended up being the uh, program director. And that, that was what year? That's been since when? I've been the program director since 2010. So I came in about a month before our first class graduated. But I had been teaching them for basically the prior two years. So they knew me. I knew them. Yeah. 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 Okay. And this is the same time I was the uh, president of uh, Kappa. So. A lot on your plate. (laughs) I always have a lot on my plate. (laughs) Probably why I overeat. <laughs> so, what do you love about your role as program director at the University of Manitoba PA program? I get to meet the most incredible people in the world. I we have a huge application pool, and honestly, most of the people who apply to the program could be PAs easily. Uh, they they know about it; they're learning, and so the hardest part of the job is trying to select who are going to be the best and the brightest for, for the year of the application. Uh, and then I get to meet them. And they're incredibly gifted. They have the ability to walk into a room with a total stranger and strike up a conversation. They are, as one of my colleagues in the university said, do you select them for charm or is that just a byproduct? And I said, no, I look for charm. Uh, I mean, they're smart. They they know how to uh, solve problems. They they've uh, pushed through academia. Uh, they have uh, gotten their degrees. They have done research. They have life experiences. And then we teach them in a program where I'm working with some of the best and the brightest uh, instructors we have, uh, who really love teaching. And then I see the light bulbs come on in students uh, over time where they all realize that, you know, the Krebs cycle can be tied into anything if you think hard enough. They, uh, <laughs> they, they realize that simply letting the patient tell the narrative and the story will help them make a diagnosis. They, they realize that social determinants of health is more than just a... Um, a couple of lectures, it actually implements and affects everything that we do as PAs. When you decide that if you're writing a prescription and you don't know whether or not they can pay for it, if you know that um, they're not likely to get their wounds taken care of because they don't actually have a home to go to, um, and they start figuring out solutions of this. That's what I love. Beautifully said. Thank you. Beautifully said, yeah. yes. And then in the midst of all that, you have been uh, Kappa president. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so let's let's talk about that and your experience with that. I was flying to San Antonio 
Texas to go to the, one of the AAPA conferences when I was living in Winnipeg. And the, one of the things about going to big American conferences is that usually half the plane is full of fellow PAs. So I was sitting next <laughs> to this charming individual, and I said, so where are you from? And she said, oh, uh, Cold Lake. I said, wow, there's an Air Force base in Cold Lake. Are you involved with that? She said, yes, I'm a PA there. Do you know what a PA is? And I just started laughing. Uh, and she was uh, on the uh, board, and Kathy Lavoie uh, kind of, we chatted, uh, then introduced me to the uh, Kappa board. And I'd been a member of Kappa since, I think it was 2002. Um, I paid my fees, and I'd gone to a couple of the Kappa conferences, but just on return visits home. But I met the, the board, and I was standing in a booth just chatting to them when somebody started talking uh, about coming up to Canada. And the Canadian military PAs, who are really good at what they do, don't understand the payment and fee structure. And we're, we're talking, you know, back when there was like five, six civilian PAs uh, or retired ex-military working in the civilian world. Um, we... So I stepped up and I started uh, answering some of the questions of what it was like to be American trained working in Canada. And next thing I know, they take me aside for a drink and they say, would you like to be on the board? And I said, I'd love to contribute. <laughs> Great, you're the vice president. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then, you know, I was serving as a vice president. Uh, I became more involved. I kind of saw where they were going. It was great. Uh, kind of added my little two bits here and there. Um, next thing I know, I'm a president. We're transitioning from a 100% military organization funded and supported by the Department of National Defense, where all decisions have to be approved by the Canadian Forces Health Services, mainly because they're paying the money. They have a right. Yeah. And then we... Um, the work of Morris Chapman and, uh, well, Tom and Ashman and uh, a few others, Dennis Hearn, uh, uh, and we just basically, we got funding from the Treasury, moved from uh, a military-supported um, organization to being responsible for our, our own selves. We became incorporated as a civilian entity, big, big event uh, um Effort, uh, blood, sweat, and tears went into it. We got our incorporation papers on uh, November uh, 27th, and uh, we had more members, more civilians on the board. The program started graduating uh, civilian students. We'd been talking to Alberta. We'd been talking to Ontario uh, over time and New Brunswick uh, with uh, various physician uh, advocates. And so those provinces were all coming on board uh, for PAs, and it was great. So that was my involvement. I was lucky enough to put be put in a spot where there were a lot of brilliant, dedicated people who put their passions into it. Uh, my job was to help them find the resources to do what they wanted to do. And, and we keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, what, so. How come you left the position? Oh, uh, Three years as president, then uh, two years as past president, you know, the 
any organization needs new blood. There should be a, a time limit on everything. Uh, politicians should not be in office forever. Uh, neither should uh, board members. Uh, we need fresh Agreed. blood. Yeah. Agreed. So uh, you also happen to be president of the... Now, I'm going to get this wrong because uh, it always throws me off of this. The <laughs> Canadian Physician Assistant Educators Association. Is that, is that the right name? <laughs> that's the name on our bylaws. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um, I think a lot of us aren't very familiar with that organization, even if they are paying into it through their CAPA membership. Could you give a, a brief rundown about that? Well, actually, um, to, to clarify, we have a line when you're renewing your membership, you have the option of making a, uh, becoming a member of the CPA EA. It's a, um, a small donation. Uh, a membership and allows us to do various things. The it started off as uh, an organization of people who are interested in uh, sharing educational tools. It's um, a matter of coordinating uh, our efforts so that we would have we'd be able to talk to preceptors, people who take on students, and say this is what a PA needs and. When it started, there were just getting uh, going on the, the the programs in the early days. Most preceptors had no idea what a PA was, or even how to spell it. Um, we <laughs> built up a a little bit of an organization, and now we're kind of in a transition. We're trying to support more research, uh, more scholarship, as well as supporting people who want to help teach PAs. Uh, now the programs all do a good job with their preceptors and reaching out and with the wonderful queen of the social media and uh, yeah, yeah. uh, we've uh, developed a web page um, we're building things and now we're sometime today I'm going to start working on the, the next meeting where we just kind of sit and talk about what we're doing and our focus has been a educational track at the uh, national conference the Canadian Association of Physician Assistant National Conference but there's been presidents before me I I've just done a, a two years I'm doing a second two years um, we have a team of directors we've managed our money effectively because nobody gets reimbursed um, uh, for travel or trips or anything like that, we try and do it all on um, well the company dime, so to speak. You know the Skype conferences uh, like this one, or um, yeah, and yeah, it's a work in so progress. People, so and the, it's a work in progress is going through some transitions, and if people do want to uh, get more involved, they should uh, contact you about that. Yes, they can contact me, and I will try very hard to figure out a way of doing it better, um, remembering that this is probably my fourth or fifth part-time job. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we will put, we'll put your contact info down there as well as um, the vice presidents because there, there's, you know, multiple people that, that are on the, on the board. Yes. So we can yes. put their contact info um, when we post this if people want to get more involved in um, yeah. the, that organization and the research and um, that direction that it's going. Yeah, they can go to our website and they can leave a request for information and our our webmaster will send it to the right people or secretary will get back and we're we'll do our best. Okay. All right, great. 
So what do you think uh, the best thing an individual PA could do right now to move the PA profession forward um, in Canada? Well, the uh, there's several layers to that question. Uh, one of the things about my background and my education is that I believe that all politics is personal, and I'm talking small p politics. The way you make change is you convince those who have the authority to make change and control the resources, understand what you're trying to do. You need to meet your member of the Legislative Assembly or your member of Provincial Parliament. Um, PAs need to reach out, be willing to pound signs, lawn signs in, to help stuff ballot boxes and meet the candidates and ask them questions about, we're here to make this system better. We're here to optimize health care. We want to improve access. We want to make a difference in people's lives. How come you're restricting us by these archaic rules? You know, Ontario, for example, is the only province state in the entire country that hasn't protected the physician assistant title. In, you know, all 50 states have protected title and legislation. You know, uh, Alberta is protected title. And they're not even regulated yet. Manitoba protected title. New Brunswick is a protected title. How come that anybody can walk into a doctor's office and get a job and call themselves a PA, and they don't have our qualifications? How are we going to change that? Yeah. Talk to our legislators and change it. You know. I mean, it's yeah, it's super frustrating. We're seeing job postings all the time that are for medical secretaries or medical administrators that are posted to physician assistant jobs, and this is on websites like Health Force Ontario, which also posts physician assistant jobs and helps employ physician assistants in Ontario, and it's extraordinarily frustrating. It, yes, absolutely. And it's a matter of taking the time to have a conversation. You know, you don't solve the problem by writing letters to the journal or the, the papers. The um, You don't solve the problem by embarrassing the government. You have to sit down and you have a conversation and say, this is what we want to try and do, and we need your help doing it. In, don't know if you're aware, but in the state of Washington, when they were getting their, when Richard Smith, Dr. Richard Smith was, he was uh, in the uh, the American uh, Health, uh, Public Health, he was assigned to go out to Washington, and they had a primary care issue. He started developing the medics program. He put the uh, the PAs who were uh, the military corpsmen who had returned from Vietnam, put them in small towns. But the small towns he picked, each were the hometown of a state legislator. So that when the state legislator went to the family doctor, who was uh, usually an old, older uh, uh, physician who had been there a long time, was working by himself and getting burnt out and threatening to leave, he had a PA there who would take care of them. So the PAs met the state legislators, and every single bill that came up in the Washington State House got passed because every single of those rural red legislators knew what a PA was, and they supported the cause. And when the urban legislators started to realize that, hey, there's something going on here, they started asking questions. And then the doctors in towns who would go to conferences say, hey, you my classmate, you didn't. I uh, haven't seen you at these conferences before. What's changed? And he said, I hired a PA. The PA allows me to come to these conferences and, and just working on my own personal life. 
you should get one. Medics now has 150 <laughs> students. This is how change is made. It's uh, it's getting to know people. The, the the advocacy program that is being put together, where they're meeting state or the provincial legislators and then talking to them. The uh, community groups who want to make a change and a difference if they know what a PA does. Every PA should be able to say, I have talked to the the Rotary Club, the Elks, the Moose, the uh, you know, the uh, um, the Chamber of Commerce, the have met their mayors, because honestly, small town mayors go to conferences and they ask the provincial legislators how we can fix our health care system. And maybe if the mayors knew that a PA could come in and make a difference, they would start asking. Interesting. Yeah, we should we should do that. Yeah, we haven't. I hadn't even thought about small town mayors, but you're right. Yeah, I am. We both, both live in a we small town. We both live in a small town. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have talked to an MPP, but not to the mayor. That no, nope. you called us out on that one for sure. <laughs> yeah, and. and they want to hear, you know, like I said, all politics is personal. It's at the grassroots level where you make change, and it's effective. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think I think a lot of us feel um, hesitant to, to reach out and do that. It's a bit scary to traverse the political world when you've never done it before. But Kappa does have a, a decent toolkit available that Rachel and yeah. I have used that is helpful. I think ultimately that the politicians really, like you said, it's personal and they want to hear those stories. But yes. the toolkit helps us reach out. I mean, it gives us maybe some confidence to to reach out. If you know your talking points and you know the fact, you know, I think one of the problems I might be wrong about this, but I don't think the Ontario PA programs teach you enough about PA history uh, to understand the impact, everything from Buddy Treadwell in North Carolina, the uh, Vivian uh, uh, Thomas, who was the uh, the lab tech who helped develop the devices and worked in surgery with Baylock to uh, stop babies from uh, blue babies and trilogy of flow and correcting that. Uh, I mean, we're talking about the early PAs of how they've come in and they made a difference and they made our, the doctors we work with better. Uh, and, of course, if we can make that system work better, then you can make patients better. We need to understand our history. We need to understand that the small stories, the differences that, you know, Ontario's been doing it since 2007, uh, then gradually building, but the PAs have existed for a very, very long time. And if we start sharing these stories, we need to end uh, the conversation with, how come we're not leading it if we're learning from everybody else's mistakes? We should be setting the rules and establishing the way that it's done. Good point. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Okay, so now completely switching gears again. <laughs> Disjointed here of an interview. So you are also setting out on a new adventure here, starting a journal, a, a, a PA journal in Canada. Yes. Uh, t- talk to us a little bit about that, where you are in that journey, and what you hope to get from you know your Joe Blow PA who's listening. The uh, journal of Canada's Physician Assistants is a open access journal hosted by the University of Manitoba, Neil John McLean Health Science Library. It will be a peer review journal that will 
has seven different categories of uh, including original research. Uh, we are in the process of uh, hiring, uh, well, I'm getting the funds in order to hire an editor slash researcher can help coordinate it, the, the paper uh, or the journal. We're hoping that uh, we'll get people to share their research. It might be just small scale. This is what I do in my workforce. This is uh, the difference I've seen and provide a forum so that we can start putting this together. Then over time, enough small papers will show that there's a trend. One of the issues that we face with in, in Canada is that our PAs are one member of a team, and, and we tend to be in isolation. So, for example, the practice of a PA working at Concordia Orthopedics in hip and joint uh, might have one other PA with them, and it's one small practice in Canada of uh, which there's like maybe 4,000 orthopedic surgeons as an off number. By itself, that work won't stand out in a orth- journal of orthopedics, but put together with other workforce, like from Brandon and from Brampton and from uh, Toronto and all that, combined together where we show enough examples of where a PA made a difference in this small group, uh, we can start sharing our knowledge and maybe trade tips of how to do it. So my vision is a journal that Canada's PAs can talk about what we do and the difference we make. I like it. That's a great idea. I like it. And when do you hope to be at a point where you're actually accepting article submissions? I'm hoping that by March... April uh, next year, we can start accepting and uh, we'll be advertising for submissions. Then our, we're going to be training reviewers um, with an online course that will be open to everyone. That will probably be coordinated through the CPA EA. And, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, we can even give credits for that. And then my target is June or July of 2018 to be able to put out our first edition. Exciting. Very exciting. We're all going to be, we're all looking forward to it. Actually, I'm quite thrilled to be quite honest. Well, start writing. (laughs) Start writing. Ah, yes. (laughs) Working on it, working on it. So you have been uh, a pioneering PA in this country, trained in the States, but pioneering PA here. You have worked in a couple different specialties. You've been uh, you are currently the uh, leading the program in Manitoba. You've been the Kappa uh, president, and you are uh, the president of the CPAEA, and you are starting a journal. Do you want to add anything else to your resume? Uh, husband and father of two incredible children, <laughs> one who's doing a Ph.D. in political theory and the other one who is studying classics. Uh, <laughs> um, I read an awful lot. And I absolutely love my life and my job and the people I work with, including you two. <laughs> well, thank you. We're, thank you. We're so lucky to have met you. Um, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk with us. I think a lot of people who listen will appreciate this interview. It's very informative. And, and thank you for your, all, all that you have done for the profession thus far. Yes, and thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. Today. Thank you for the opportunity. And this is a, a great project. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. We plan to. <laughs> Thank you, Ian, very much. Uh, all of your, I'll put your, your contact info down below when I post this. Uh, so if people have questions, they can get a hold of you as long as that's okay with you. Yeah, that'd be fine. Okay, okay. wonderful. Alrighty. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye.
Bye, bye. Meet the PA's podcast is sponsored by pahelpers.ca, where you can find all your Canadian exam prep needs. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit us at mtppodcast.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and we would love your feedback.